Welcome, my friends, to the show that never ends. This is the Mental Health Comedy Podcast with Ed Krasnick and Jennifer Kalari. And this is the show where we talk about mental health and practice skills. We practice resilient skills, everyday skills you can use any day, anytime, anywhere to live happier and healthier, make different choices about how we deal with our thoughts and feelings. And that's what the world needs now, besides love, sweet love. Okay. So today's show is a special show. We have conversations with four amazing guests. We have a conversation with Mo Collins, with Gareth Reynolds, with Stephanie Wilder-Taylor, and Cecily Nobler. So there's so much going on today. It's a great show. I want you to have a great week. I'm exhausted. Uh, I know the world is. So we're coming to the end of the year, and we wanted to bring this show to you. So sit back, relax, wherever you are, even if you're prone, this will be fun to listen to. And I just want to tell you, look, all kinds of things happen, right? So my daughter, who's uh, in 10th grade, is on the internet. We're doing this show via the internet, but the internet is down somehow. (laughs) So we're all trying to, you know, sort of breathe and realize that everything's okay, uh, that life isn't as fragile as a phone or a computer. But it's hard to remember that. It's really hard to remember that. Now, our show is really about practicing mental health skills because we know what physical fitness is. We do not know what emotional fitness is. We have no context for that. And the thing about mental health is it's just the biggest topic. Like everywhere that you look, it's mental health, mental health, mental health. We have an initiative. We have a pro thing. We're going to help people. We're going to do all kinds of things. But very rarely do people actually show you skills that you can practice. Mental health is only as much, you can only have as much of it as you, as you will allow yourself to practice. And you don't have to do it perfectly, just the awareness that you can practice a skill. Like right now, I'm in a little bit of panic, so I could take a breath. I won't, but I could. <laughs> but just knowing that I could, that it's a choice brings you options. And that's what you want. You want choices about how you deal with your thoughts and feelings, your thoughts and your feelings. These are the two things, the two big components of mental health and how your brain works. And that's why Jennifer Kalari is along because Jennifer works a lot with the brain and helping us rewire our brain. And uh, she has a wonderful organization called connectedparenting.com where they teach skills, courses, works with all kinds of families, using all kinds of techniques. We need a big toolbox for mental health these days. This is what we're trying to do with the show. So we always have uh, emotional shout outs. We try to welcome in people no matter where they're at or what they're feeling emotionally. We're gonna do that again this morning and these are emotional shout outs. If you're binge watching murder shows and feel nothing, welcome. If you think national conventions should be done in the style of Hamilton, welcome. If your therapist asks you to do the hokey pokey to turn your life around, welcome. If you're telling time by how close you are to a panic attack, welcome. If you've taken an online class called karaoke or depression, welcome. If you're so mentally drained that you wear a colander on your head, welcome. If when a dry cleaner asks you for a ticket, you respond by yelling, why is everyone controlling me, welcome. And if you're so afraid of telling the truth that you avoid the game show to tell the truth, welcome. If you're dressing in a Civil War reenactment uniform just in case, welcome. And if you're beating yourself up even now, 
There's always a place for you right here on Mental Health Comedy, where you get your mantra, Montropolis. Also, MePS, which is a personal GPS with the voice of Eckhart Tolle. More on that later. Uh, as it as it happens. But right now, um, I want to bring in Jennifer. And Jennifer, first of all, I want to talk about, now you just came back from vacation, which is a great thing. How are yes. you doing? And let's let's talk a little bit about, if we can, mental vacations. How do you take them? And can we have them now? <laughs> okay, that's a very good question. Yes, I just had a lovely vacation, actually. I was able to relax, which is very nice. And here's the thing, like we put so much mental energy into worrying and stressing. And we don't even think about it. We're not even aware of how much we do it. We're not even aware kind of of our emotional diet, right? What are we watching? What are we listening to? When we have conversations with friends or we go for walks, are we just like kind of bitching and complaining? And all of that keeps the brain in a state of high alert. It keeps your survival system on. And it's the survival system that's releasing cortisol and adrenaline, which are the biochemicals that make us miserable. You know, that's what gives us that feeling in our stomach or the feeling we get the tightness in our chest or we can't breathe or we just want to jump out of our skin and run down the street. It takes work to be like that and it takes work to not be like that. So I always say to people, if you have time to worry and complain and stress and ruminate, then you have time to do the stuff you need to do to feel better. And it's just learning new strategies and it's new neuropathways and it's building a different brain that runs in a different way. It doesn't have to run the way that it's running. Right. It's where you're going to spend your time. We're always practicing something whether you're conscious of it or not conscious of it, you're always practicing something. You got all these thoughts that are flooding through your head like, a, like at a traffic light, like a freeway, an expressway of thoughts, and they're going and they're going and they're going. And we can actually choose to reach for better thoughts. We can actually drive our own brain. We can actually make choices about that. You talk about that all the time. And I actually have a driving test, a, 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 a brain driving test to get your license to drive your own brain. But that's coming up later. I've actually done that. Talk about that a little bit about what we pay attention to and what we don't and little cues that you can use because there's a million thoughts. Most of them are not good. Most of them are about things we don't want or things that scare us. You know, how do you slow it down? There's no magic button, unfortunately. It's something you have to train yourself to do. You have to put the time in and then you'll see the benefits. So the first thing, and Ed, we talk about this all the time, is just being aware and not being mad at yourself. Oh, look at me complaining again. And look at me stressing again. It's funny because I, I run an organization called Connected Parenting, but it's really about self-parenting too, right? right. And self-compassion and self-care. So the first step is just kind of notice, oh, there I go again. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I'm doing that again. So just stepping out even a little bit and having a moment where you have some awareness about what you're thinking about. It's so automatic for so many of us. We don't even realize it. And the part that's so important to understand is the limbic system, the midbrain is so primal. It cannot tell the difference between something you're worrying about, stressing about, remembering, envisioning in the future. It thinks it's all happening right now in front of you. And then you've got all these biochemicals that match that, adrenaline and cortisol. And if you're going through something that feels awful or someone just said something upsetting to you or you've gotten yourself in a bit of a spin obsessing and thinking about something, take a moment, go right into it and say, acknowledge this pain. I acknowledge this emotional pain. I'm feeling it. This is what it feels like to worry or this is what it feels like to be disappointed or this is what it feels like to be scared something isn't going to happen. Just sit with it for a second. Acknowledge the pain. Acknowledge that it's information. And then you can move on to some of the strategies we talked about before, where you drop your tongue, you can change your breathing, you can immediately reach for the next best feeling thought. 
we spend so much time in our culture running away from feelings and, and they chase you and they won't stop. And they get bigger. So they get bigger, the voices get louder. And then, and this is when, I don't know about you, but this is when I start trying to avoid things and I start binge watching or doing a lot of, a lot of stuff to try to numb myself because it's very painful. You know, and if you're watching and you're thinking, where's the comedy part of this? This is it. This is the comedy of life is the crazy crap that we do to ourselves, right? Let's jump into our guests now. Uh, this is a conversation that we had with uh, an old friend, so talented, uh, so creative, so aware, uh, and, and very brave, a real risk taker, been through a lot, great actress. You can see her on Fear the Walking Dead now. But she's been on Parks and Recreation, Mad TV for many years, 40-Year-Old Virgin, so many shows and so many movies. Great improviser, Mo Collins. Here's Mo. The pandemic at this point has definitely gotten harder for me. I was doing much better in the beginning. And I think that's because if I really look at it, what happened was everybody kind of went home and isolated a bit, right? right. Well, that to me was like, oh, perfect. I get to do exactly what my inclinations are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, I got this. I am a homebody. I like the quiet. I like to be left alone. I'd like to not think about having to do something tomorrow, you know, <laughs> schedule, right. all that stuff. It sort of disappeared and gave me a, a freedom that I felt very strong, to be honest. I felt mentally strong. I climb into bed at the end of the day and feel super secure, even though the pandemic was going on. Right. I, my first thought in the morning, it, it, actually, it's not a thought. My first physical thing is a rush of panic. And it's physical, and it's, that's where I start my day, with this rush of panic. Wow. Uh, Jennifer, can you, can you speak to that? Sure. And you're not alone. That's a lot of people, the second they open their eyes, there's this whoosh, and you feel it right in your stomach. It's like, it's like the elevator's dropping. Right? Yes, it is. Yeah. It's yeah, a horrible feeling. Pretty much at night now, too, to go to sleep, all the thoughts are keeping me from falling asleep initially. And so I'm doing what you were speaking to, which is sort of the consciousness of leaning into it. And so I will lay there and I will do that. And then followed up by just the serenity prayer, you know, just right. like I do it over and over. I analyze the words. I try and paste it directly on, on the anxious thoughts I'm having. And then I eventually fall asleep. But what is funny is that my dreams or whatever are not kind of aiding and healing me. And so I wake up and there it is, the whoosh. Yeah. yeah. Whoa, we're back at square one. It's like a hollow, awful feeling. The thing people don't understand about anxiety, it's not as easy as just, oh, think about something else. Like this, It's complicated. And we'll get into some of the things that you can do today to really help. But that feeling is so real. It's so physical. It would literally be like if you're on an elevator and then it, it's, you start falling, right? And you're like hanging by a thread and someone's saying, oh, you know, just calm down a little bit. Think of your happy place. Like yeah. when you get that anxious, it's really difficult. So part of the work is to be doing it all day long. So for anyone who struggles with anxiety, this is a kind of constant checking in with yourself throughout the day. And it's interesting you're saying this, Mo, because how you fall asleep and how you wake up is really important. Let me give you a couple strategies for that whoosh feeling because it's awful. It's literally the minute you're kind of awake, it's like, oh, right? Yeah. The first thing, which is so simple, and I've talked about it a lot on the show, but it, it's actually really important, 
is you just drop your tongue on the bottom of your teeth. Just, just let it go soft. And when that happens, your stomach will release. They're connected. And it's a very subtle symbol or signal to the brain that you're not actually in imminent danger. This is actually, you're, you're taking your tongue and you're mm-hmm. just resting it on the, on the back of your, of your teeth. And yeah, on the bottom of your teeth. The, the bottom bo- of your teeth. Bottom so you're of just your kind of making your tongue go soft. Yeah. And when you do that, it's connected to, you know, that whole system is connected. So your stomach will actually relax. And you can feel that when you relax your tongue, your stomach muscles will let go. Yeah. Now, your stomach muscles tighten because you wake up, you have that whoosh, and your body thinks, well, something's going to attack her. Something's going to jump on her. That's, that's the only reason she's feeling this way. There must be something that's imminently going to attack. It's pretty much what I do. I mean, I, I haven't heard about the dropping the tongue thing, but when that happens, I know the first thing that I do to counter it because I obviously I am feeling it in my gut. So I do a very deep breath into my gut, you know, and feel the expansion. I like to overpower that anxious, beautiful toxins, you know, and just be in control of it, if at all, you know, if I can. Yeah, it's lovely. That's an override. And that's your frontal lobe. Yeah. Stepping in. So when, so you just add that, you can add that technique to what you're already doing. I will drop my tongue. Yes. (laughs) Which is our new bumper sticker. I will drop my tongue. tongue. Yeah. And then followed by the kind of relaxed, slow, deep breathing. There's also a breathing that you can do. I call it phew breathing. Like, you know how when something's happened, it turns out, okay, you're like, phew. It's the same kind of signal to the brain. So you breathe in twice really sharply, like, and then you go, like that. And you do that two or three times. And it, it's, a, it's a reflex in the brain that actually, that feeling that all humans do when something's turned out okay and you were scared and then you're not, is like, oh, phew, right? That feeling. So you can add that. That sometimes helps going on. And it's, it, there's, sometimes it's pre a thought even, and it sounds like that's true yes. for you. It's literally the feeling first, right? Yeah. It's totally, and I haven't thought of anything yet. Yeah. <laughs> so then what you can do before you get out of bed, after you've taken your breath and after you've dropped your tongue and you just kind of relax, I love to just think of like, I don't know, five places, five people. People are, work really well. You just kind of imagine your favorite people and you imagine gazing into their eyes, like looking right into their eyes and just telling them things that you so appreciate about them That's and it. let your body tune to that. Your brain is a tuner. It's an instrument. We get to control what we tune it to. Whenever you are anxious, you're inserting yourself into the future and living an event as if it's happening now. Any thought that starts with what if, unless it's happening right in front of you in that moment, and then that's a crisis moment. There's not very many strategies that will help you, right? It's just the way that it is. But if you're lying in bed worrying about the virus or the wildfires or your finances or whatever, if it's not anything right in front of you, then you're now inserting yourself to your event and living it. And then the midbrain thinks you're, it's happening. If you're sad and depressed, you're inserting yourself into the past and reliving it. Freedom is in the now. So Mo, I, I have a couple things I wanted to just uh, just ask you because you are a great improviser. You're a great actress. You've done a lot of comedy. You've done a lot of training. Are there improv skills that actually help you in your everyday life? I mean, do you rely on some of the things you learned at, uh, at Dudley Riggs or some of the things that you've learned in your entertainment background? Yes, absolutely. The number one rule of improv, the yes and, right, where you say yes and move the story forward, is one of the greatest survival skills uh. a person can have. If you're saying, well, we're talking about 
being in the moment, if you say yes to that moment, you can move forward through it. You know, you're not looking behind, you're not looking, you're just staying in that moment. It's that one foot in front of the other sort of thing, one day at a time, one minute at a time. But that yes and and all my improv skills have, are actually my survival skills. But also just the very nature of, being, of choosing <laughs> this crazy comedy as a career path and understanding that you're actually seldom safe financially and everything you are constantly on a roller coaster you can never be totally comfortable there's always a level of insecurity everything i learned with the improv and being in the business of comedy and such is that that is actually now a comfortable place to be which is in the insecure place it's as familiar as anything else is to you that is exactly right in fact you can have moments where you know let's say you have one consecutive check after another, roof is over your head and everything. That's where I start to go, oh God, oh no, this can't last. <laughs> you know, this is, I'm not having to use enough of my skills here. You know, this is too good, this won't last. My daughter, she and I watched uh, Parks and Rec. We watched every single episode of Parks and Rec in the last uh, couple months. And we were watching your character, your Joan Calamets. One of the funniest things I've ever seen. I know a lot of listeners will remember the stuff. And one of my favorite things was you actually being so drunk that you couldn't host the talk show and that you were actually, you know, on the floor and in different physical positions. That was insanely hysterical. I was supposed to be removed, you know, in the script. Joan then is gone. Nick just continues to host the show. But the director was so great. He's, he said, Mo, just, and this is where the improv came in. He's like, just be in a different position every time. Being who I am, I went more and more ridiculous. And I just thought, well, we're having fun in this moment. It'll never be used. But as long as this moment is fun for us and we're all having a good time, that's what I'm here for. There's that now. He found a way to beautifully use, I mean, who planks when they're passed out? Well, you did. You, and you kept extending it. So it was like yeah. every time was bigger than the next. And I know you love to do yeah. physical things. So this was just amazing. He made it work. He made that segment just get more and more ridiculous and somehow still stay grounded in that Parks and Rec world. It was incredible. Will you just tell the story about going for the Judd Apatow audition for, I think it was the 40-year-old virgin, I want to say, and there was a group of people who were reading, and you had to come in. It was like a dating thing, and you had to wear a name tag. Can you, can, do you remember that story? I had actually improvised for Jane Lynch's part, which I did not get, but they liked my improv skills, so I got called in for the speed dating scene. And those of us that were brought in for that you know with me they just said just do whatever you want and they had everybody that was going to be the speed dating people just write a name on a on a name tag you know i wrote gina but in that moment improvising with steve carell (laughs) he goes hi gina and i go it's Gina. what's up and i I remember that i thought in that moment they were going to cut the camera and send me home because i'd probably gone over the line right? Like, because I just kept going. I thought, well, I've said Gina, now I'm just going to really lean into this and say horrible, dirty things. They didn't cut and they didn't, they kept going. And I thought, all right, I'm in deep. 
And then after, I don't know how long the initial improv was, 15 minutes, they cut camera. The place erupted. Mo Collins as Gina, ladies and gentlemen. Please check her out on Fear the Walking Dead. And thanks to Mo for coming on. What a great talent and a terrific person. A sponsor today, I'm so excited, Comeover. And this is uh, after my own heart because I'm certainly doing this with my hairline. Comeover is a new sponsor. Comeover is a new app that allows you to comb over destructive or manipulative content on social media and YouTube. It actually erases and customizes the ads that are not helping you and sucking the life from others. This includes anybody promoting sunglasses on my Facebook page or trying to sell anything. Combover combs over energetically and energetically senses whether the intention is helping or hurting. Combover, it doesn't look good because it isn't. We shall overcome with Combover. Next up is an old friend, uh, this guy I've known for many years. We had a great conversation about relationships where he actually plays the part of a woman. So I think you'll enjoy that. So talented, co-host of the Dollop podcast and a writer on Arrested Development and so many other shows. Great comedian, Gareth Reynolds. You know, Gareth, I don't want to put you on the spot, but (laughs) years ago, one of the things I loved was Evan and Gareth used to do, they would do relationships where they would sort of pretend that they, you know, they would roll reversal with, uh, with a woman and they would dress and dress up like a woman and they would do what I used to look at as some of the most honest (laughs) and funny questions that they would ask each other. And I guess, Gareth, if you were to tell me something about, you know, a date that you had uh, with Gareth, maybe there's some information there. I don't know. (laughs) Um, If I were to say to you, like, if I were to call you Audrey, Mm -hmm. and and I were just to say, Audrey, now you've been out with Gareth a few times. A few times, yep. What's your evaluation? I mean, is this somebody that's, you know, that's serious about, you know, getting close? What do you what do you pick up from him? I don't know yet. I'm still trying to figure that out a little bit because I think he's hard to get to know. There's always a joke. And then I'm kind of like, what's behind the joke? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> now, Audrey, <laughs> let, let me just ask you, though. Now, you I have so- a deep laugh. On your on your first date, so he was filling in with he was doing jokes and trying to make you laugh. A lot of bits, a lot of bits. Anything that landed? Some good bits, yeah. <laughs> some now, some winners, what, some losers. Some winners and some losers. Yeah. Now, what what did you what do you like most about him? What is it that He's that fun. you enjoy most? He's fun. He just doesn't take himself too seriously. That's good. And what's important to you in a relationship? What are, would you, if you had like a few things to say, what would you be looking for? A connection, honesty, someone who goes out of their way to make you feel happy, things like that. Yeah. Just general openness, I think, is attractive. You sound like you really understand what you're, what you're looking for. I'm easy on the eyes uh, too, by the way, FYI. Are you? <laughs> Mask or are non. You, are you now? Do you wear heavy colognes or perfumes? Because wear, you strike me as somebody. Yeah, I'll wear. I what I do is I do the thing when I have a bunch of sheets from magazines that I've torn out over the years, and I'll just do a little wrister of each one of those. Yeah, you just do a like a roll on. I do. I do. A, I dab it on my neck, and then I put the paper in between my wrists, and almost like I was trying to create a friction fire, I just rub them together. 
Huh. Okay. <laughs> well, one that's, time that's I did some... create a friction fire. I should point that out. <laughs> that's between. <laughs> it, it was a, yeah. Not a gender reveal. You, no. It's, listen, it's <laughs> all between you and your maker. Can you describe for us, you know, your dream like relationship, like what you would be doing, like a per, like, what's a perfect day or a perfect date? What would it look like? I mean, I would definitely have a change of clothes. So we would start early. We would go do something fun like squash, something I'm not great at, something he's not great at, but something we can build together and get better at together, a thing. And then- a squash date? You'd have a squash date? Yes. And then I would love to go for squash after that. Go, so play some squash and then go somewhere and have, because they do these squash noodles at a restaurant near me. And if we could go have squash noodles there and then maybe just watch, you know, watch a movie, something light, you know, something not too serious. Everything's so serious now. What would be a perfect movie for you to watch? Maybe the third Back to the Future because I'm familiar with it. It's not that good and you could dip in and dip out. So we wouldn't need to pause it. See, this is the kind of thing, but as funny as this is and as funny as we, you know, we could talk for hours like this. We did once. You owe me $100. That's true. (laughs) I forgot about that. Yeah. It's funny. As funny as this is, you know, Jennifer, you talk about rehearsal. You talk about like actual rehearsal. Can you mention this again about like how you can rehearse situations in your life? Yeah. Well, I was just thinking like there's a lot of people who are listening who are single and it is a crazy time to try and meet people. And we already talked about how the most important relationship is the one between you and you. And once you've got that semi figured out, then it really is about rehearsal. So literally what you do is you imagine right now. So Gareth, you can imagine this right now. She's out there. The person you're going to be with, the person you're going to end up with out there, she's out there. She's driving around. She's going shopping. She's playing squash. She's doing whatever she's doing. And if you just, without any angst, just like smile and just like wish her well, and you will meet when it is time to meet and the universe takes care of these things and that you just like make a space for her right now, even though she's not in your life right now. Um, That's a lovely, lovely strategy. And it's quite effective actually, because it kind of takes the angst away that can sometimes get in the way of, of, of meeting someone and, and creating that, that, um, I don't know. It just takes care yeah. of some of the subconscious stuff that gets in the way. And then you can just imagine the two of you doing, you know, watching a movie like that and goofing around and, and not like when you're imagining things and there's a lot of angst in it, like, oh, that would be so good. And, oh, it'll be so great when I have that. That's the wrong energy. It has to be a peaceful kind of, yeah, but it's a Sunday morning and you're just hanging around together. You're going for a walk. You're just doing normal things and, and really try to just stay in that space and then just kind of watch what happens. It's it's honestly the most amazing dating advice. It really does work. I also think, you know, I, I think to your point about being comfortable with yourself, you know, that is, I do feel a lot of the times that that's a real luxury because I'm, yeah, I, I'm, sur- I have a lot of friends who I think have the opposite where they have, they're, mm-hmm. they're incomplete and think that self-completion comes through a relationship. And I think I've always just been very wary. It never does. It yeah, and I've always been very wary person. of that because I think that's exactly what my parents were. I think my parents were mm-hmm. two people who, you know, just got together because that was what you did and you expected life to kind of unfold via that. And it's a cover for, for work on yourself, but it's also, I think it feels good at the time. So, so yeah, I'm just on the other end of the spectrum, but I think that's very sound advice. And I, I do try to be very open like that and certainly have no sense of rushing into into it i want the right thing at the right time yeah just cousin i think mm-hmm. 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 
I thought it was very interesting that you you were able to share these things in front of your mom. What did you learn from your mom growing up about you know your emotions and how to take care of your your feelings? Like what did, what what kind of stuff did you learn from her? I mean, when she I sounds pretty cool, actually. She's a nightmare. No, no, she's fantastic. I, my, <laughs> okay, my mother okay. is, is great. I mean, and the, and the idea that she sits on in the dollop is like she's in town. I mean, this is when we would record in a studio together. She would be in town, and she would just come in, and she would have no clue either, and she would just sort of sit there. But but yes, we have a very, very, very great relationship. I mean, I learned a lot. I I don't know how much was really imparted as far as. I think it was more action-based, which is why I love The Rock so much. He's very action-based. Oh, sure. But but my parents had a very difficult uh, marriage, and you know, I there I, my father was not in my life for probably about four or five years, and so it was really just my mother and I. And you know, I think I just I think I learned so much from that time. You know, I learned I saw my mother's strength and yeah, resiliency and. Uh, and then I think I also learned from that that, you know, when things do feel and seem hopeless, that if you're able to kind of just keep your head up as much as you possibly can, that good things will come along again and that it's, you know, there's there's cycles. And, and that's proven true throughout my life and my career, you know, where, where you, you have major ups and major downs and you just kind of, you can't get rocked by either too much, you know. So the more you mentally practice things the more your brain actually thinks it's a memory or you've done it already. So it immediately reduces the survival program and makes you go into that date a little calmer than you would have if you hadn't been practicing in your head. That's how I convinced myself I was part of the moon landing. Well, okay. Yeah. And then, and then you, you did land and it was one, it was a large step for me. Yeah. In that yeah, case. I, felt um, like it. I tripped a little too. Well, it's a tough, it's, they think it's a fine powder and that's the joke. It's actually a choppy sand. <laughs> Um, they said they say it's more of a fine powder there and they're tricking you, of yeah. course, you know, and Walter Cronkite had to change five shirts that night. And I was actually there. You know, the story, the crazy story about the guy who there was a kid who wanted to go to a concert and he, he lived across from this other kid. And he said, you know, I'll let you go to the concert. The mother says when the kid across the street walks on the moon and that kid was ne- was Neil Armstrong. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> It's actually actually supposed to be a true story, but I don't know. Now, Gareth, tell tell us about a little bit about the dollop and a little bit about what you've learned since doing that show, because it's really interesting that that Dave takes a story from history, from American history, and then you react to it. You react to the details. But all the stories are sort of about the human part of the like the personal histories of people, right? Yeah, um, we f- we discovered very quickly that I that Dave had this passion for history, and I had no knowledge of history. And then so we just were like, okay, we'll lean into that. And and so Dave prepares a story every week, and then he reads it to me, and I don't have any idea what he's going to talk to me about. And then I sort of process it, and yeah, make jokes, and you know, do do silly voices and things. And um, yeah, and it is, and then Dave Dave's perspective on it is certainly comes from injustice and there's a lot of that in our history so you know for the there are some episodes that are just simply crazy there are some episodes that are about a you know the action of a time but a lot of times it is about people and and you know how people have been stifled and how you know the the country's issues with racism and sexism and 
every ism and how we can't seem to get over ourselves and how similar everything is that's happening today is to another time. Mm -hmm. You know, like we've been through so many versions, even of Trump-ish times, as crazy as it sounds. You know, we obviously it gets a little crazier and crazier as time goes on, but there's real relatability in our history. And yeah, and I think it, it certainly it cracks open your empathy further and further because, you know, you hear the struggles of people who just wanted to do what's right. And when it doesn't work out for someone who just wanted to do what's right. And, you know, how many of these people have sacrificed themselves over the years? And then, and then what happens when change does happen? And then what happens when it's taken away? And how, you know, really what we're all, I think the like-minded people in the majority of the country is sort of, you know, I think idealistically looking for just some version of equality and that that would really, really help a lot of people and a lot of us and, and just make for a, for a better society. And then you have the, really the, the corruption of our government officials constantly getting in the way of that, you know. Good friend. He's a great man and he's an even better woman. That's Gareth Reynolds. Uh, check Gareth out on his weekly podcast, The Dollop. T-O-L-L-O-P. Subscribe and share, and, and please do that. I've had a lot of people tell me this week, as a matter of fact, I listened, I loved it, I'm using the skills Jennifer's talking about, and it's working. I've had many people tell me that. So go to Make Light Media, M-A-K-E-L-I-G-H-T, makelightmedia.com, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Social media pages are up, everything's up, and, and tell us, about your mental health. Tell us about what's going on in your life. Tell us a skill that you have, something that's working for you, what's right with this picture. Ask about our mental health potholders. Mental health is hot potholders. I'm not kidding. If you want to write us, write to makelightmedia.com. M-A-K-E-L, makelightmedia.com. Let's continue our adventure with two wonderful uh, people, both writers, authors, comedians, and together, they have a terrific podcast called Bored AF. Let's talk to Stephanie Wilder-Taylor and Cecily Nobler. Sometimes it's hard to know, though. Like, let's say you're on a friend's Facebook page mm-hmm. and somebody says something racist to or kind of at your friend. Or yep. It's hard to know, like, well, what what is standing up? You know, when are you being a coward by just letting it go? And right. going, well, I don't want to get involved because, you know, I don't want to feel angry. Exactly. It's yeah. hard to know sometimes, so, like, should I be saying something even though it's, I'm going to be mad for the rest of the day? Right. Okay. Well, that's, that's really important because it's not easy to draw that circle and, and, and stand up when you need to. But again, this is where we channel Mary Poppins right? This is where you, cha- you channel that divine female. You don't have to start mm-hmm. yelling back and getting in a fight with the person with a capitals and exclamation marks. You calmly in a centered way from a place of love, make your comment and then decide what, whatever the person says is their issue. It's so much more about them than it mm-hmm. is about you or even about the person they're insulting healthy, happy people don't walk around having to be racist. They don't. They really don't. So anytime you can put yourself in a place of of empathy, I actually feel sorry for that person. There must be so much going on in their lives. There must have been so many things that have happened to them that make them sit in this angry, bitter place. I feel sad for them. 
but still draw that sacred circle. No, I'm sorry, I will not accept that. This is how we, what we think on our show. And this is what I think about that comment. And you just say it and you do it because that's what a good human does. Well, I'm not even talking about our show because our show is just about like fun stuff. Although I do get triggered by the Real Housewives sometimes. And especially <laughs> oh Dorinda. Talk about addicted well, to Dorinda's drama, leaving. right? I They're all addicted to drama. They are, they the, are the sort of people watching. I think we all, I think the Real Housewives mm -hmm. can all, we all have a mom, you know, that's like one of them, that has a style like one of exactly. them. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. I've always said that. And no. it, oh my it can God. feel so triggering. Yeah, it's the that's archetype. In fact, if you could do Real Housewives therapy, you could you could sit around with therapists and watch the show and pretty oh much God, deal with all your mom issues. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's mine is the do. drinking. I think mine, I, I would say yeah. mine has some Dorinda in her, which is why I get so triggered by Dorinda, who just can never mm -hmm. take, it's everything is always other people's fault. And she laughs at people who have a different feeling than she does. She, she's so sure yeah. that she's absolutely correct and doesn't need to take responsibility. And right. I had a mom who never, ever apologized yeah. for anything. Mm -hmm. And so I really try to be a, a, somebody who takes responsibility and knows that I can make mistakes. And if I do yell, I give, I apologize. That's, that's amazing. And right. so, so there's two kinds of people. There's people who get parented a certain way and then they carry that on. It's like a chain of pain. And they parent mm -hmm. that way. Chain of pain. Yeah. Great title for or, a book. Yeah. yeah. Or there's people who are like, I'm never going to make another human being feel like that. I'm going to make it my goal to never let another person feel the way I felt when that happened to me. And I don't know this Dorinda person because I don't know watch that show, but anyone, anyone <laughs> who does, and that's not, it's just not, I just- You're missing I out. I'm just saying. I, you know what, I might start. start. I'm going to start now. Start I'm going to start now. <laughs> but here's what I was going to say. So I don't know about that person, but a, but a person like that, who, anyone who has to laugh at someone else, right? Or, or mm -hmm. can never take blame is probably so full of toxic shame and fear of annihilation that they have to feel that way in order to keep surviving. And that's sad. It's right? sad, that's, but it's also yeah. really annoying to people who have to deal with that person. Of course. And this is where right. the sacred circle comes. This is where you're like, you know what? You're toxic. I'm out. <laughs> I love yeah. you, but I'm not putting up with this. And you don't have to get nasty and call names and you just say, hey, do your thing. I'm out. It's too bad we can't mm -hmm. do that. Like a lot, most people can't do that with a parent. No, you know, that's that person, a, when it's family, right. it's tough. Although. Although you can certainly set boundaries around, you know, if you're having an argument with someone, you're like, you know what, this doesn't feel good to me. I'm not, I, I like myself too much to be like subjected to this. I'm leaving. I'll be back later when you're ready to calm down and then leave or walk well, away. And also as you, as you learn yourself, I think as we get old, you know, as we've gotten older, like with, i you have to set the bound. I had to set boundaries with my mother. Stephanie and I have talked mm -hmm. about that a lot, yep. right? Like I had to move away. I had to move 1400 miles away. We have yep. a better relationship for it. I know the hours that we can't talk because she's taken something, you know, I mean, I just yeah. to get real serious. Like I know when we can have those conversations and when we can't and that works. So I think, I think that comes with time. Like that, yeah. that's something you have to make that choice. And sometimes it's not workable at all, but that's true. But, and it also try. comes from a place of love for yourself, right? You love your mother, but you mm -hmm, also exactly. love yourself. And, and we really mm -hmm. do teach people how to treat us. We do. Right. Right. So the, yes. the more yes. crap we put up with, the more they think, well, they're not complaining. So this must be okay. 
right? And that's mm -hmm. where that divine circle around, I don't have to yell at you. I don't have to be nasty. I'm just not participating in this. So Cecily is a film critic. She's been doing it for many years. You've seen a lot of movies with movie therapists. Are there mm -hmm. good ones and are there bad ones? And can you highlight a couple? Well, one thing I've noticed, I mean, the good ones, and Ed and I have talked about this just as friends. I mean, you want your therapist to be wearing a real fuzzy sweater, like Judd Hirsch. Yes. You want him to be huggy. Yes. I want to, I want a hug. I have like, I need some sort of like inner, I like that. I like the Robin Williams, you know, he's kind of your friend. He's going to yep. tell you, he's going to tell it like it is. Like I like, you know, in Goodwill Hunting. The yeah. ones that I have issues with for me and that don't work for me in real life is I feel like Meryl Streep has been a therapist in like 25 different movies where she, she just takes her glasses on and off and that's her way of like being wise. I love Meryl <laughs> Streep. Don't get me wrong. But doesn't she, she'll just say something, she'll take her glasses off She'll say something that's most important, then she'll put her glasses back on. And I'm like, wait, what? Wait, take your glasses back off. <laughs> what was the thing? Well, what did I miss? I feel like that's, I don't, I don't like the colder. I like the, I like the therapists that are like, they're kind of your buddy, but, and they're going to tell you, they're going to tell it like it is. And at the beginning, uh, you know, it's sort of a lot of like, I don't know about this one, but then it's like, oh, they got me completely. But you know what I mean? But they're kind of your friends. Yes. It's a little tough lovey, but they're not cold. I don't need cold. Well, I I've like had cold. Yeah. No. You don't want That's cold. That's it. Yeah. I like cold. I don't want cold. Am I is that you, you do? Yeah. I don't want anybody trying to hug me after therapy. Stephanie, I, hate it. I know I why. Stephanie, why? Here's why. Because, okay, so Steph and I have talked about this a lot. I'm totally serious about it. It's okay to say this about our moms, right? Sure. We both have narcissistic moms. Steph is one of the cold, that set the boundaries, very cold, very like can shun, shut you out. Mine is boundaryless. She's insane. She's totally insane. She's always on something, you know, whatever. She hugs too much. And I know that sounds like a weird complaint, but it's like, it's not really coming from a place where she, it's, she's probably high. <laughs> so it's wow. like a different, so what you want the therapist to be more a little bit like your mom. And I want mine to the mom that we kind of are designing in our heads. Interesting. Isn't that interesting. Yeah, that is very possible. I want to win over. You want the cold yeah. glasses. Yeah. You you want a, like a statement necklace. <laughs> you you know, like I always thought like Blythe Danner. She's always oh. a therapist and something. She's always wearing like an amazing statement necklace and she's a little cold. Yes, I like that. That's, See, that's my dream therapist. That's it. I like I like a combination. Mm -hmm. I you know, actually this is not from a movie and it's from a show that was so many years ago. But if you look it up, one of the best therapists ever in media was Ed Zwick, who became a director on 30-something. And Ed mm -hmm. created 30-something, but then he played the therapist in the show. And what's great about him is you want the warmth, but you want him to be a real mm -hmm. therapist, and he doesn't say a lot. A great Not therapist like doesn't have to, to say, say no, a lot. No, 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 no. I don't agree at all. They make you talk it out for 48 minutes and then your time is up and they have no, to I think, it. No, I, th I, think they, I think they say it and then they leave a little space for you. Oh, but they know. Because I'm loving this conversation as a therapist. This is fabulous. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people need to know this. You need to shop for a therapist the way you shop for anything. Mm -hmm. You're a consumer yes. and you need to find a person because I don't care what your job is. If you're a salesperson, if you're a doctor, if you're a mechanic, it always, a teacher, it doesn't come down, I mean, training is important, but what it really comes down to is relationship. 
right? It mm-hmm. comes down to how you feel with that person and how that makes you feel, right? So you want to have someone that you have a good relationship with, but there's different types of therapy. Like psychotherapy is supposed to be very cold. There should be no counter transference. They're not giving you any advice. They're, you're, they're literally bouncing stuff back and being very almost non-human in some ways. And then there's more relationship-based therapists and, and, and peop, they're people, right? So as much as, as counter-transference, you know, we try to make that not happen. It does happen because we get triggered too by different clients, right? And you have to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. So shop around, like find someone who you, and you want to, again, it's same as being a good parent. You don't want the wishy-washy parent who lets you have a popsicle for dinner. You don't. Kids say they do, but they don't. And they don't want the parents screaming at them either. They want the person who's balanced in in the middle and wherever it's, you know what, Ed, it goes back to the standing in the canoe thing, right? Like you got to yes. find someone where your center of balance is. You're and always standing really in a important. canoe, which is one of the best things yeah. you've ever said. I love that. You're always standing in a canoe. You're trying to find, <laughs> you the, you're trying to find the balance. From anger to the real housewives to Mary Poppins to mothers. It's all there. That was a great conversation with Stephanie and Cecily. Listen to Bored AF with Stephanie Wilder-Taylor and Cecily Nobler. Well, that's our show for this week. I want to thank you for listening in. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I'm Ed Krasnick. For Jennifer Kalari, please have a wonderful week. Be safe. Be well. Take care of yourselves and each other. And have a great Christmas. We'll see you next week with a brand new show. 